It is easy for the student to feel that with all his labor, he is collecting only a few leaves, many of them now torn or decayed from the countless foliage of the tree of tales with which the forest of days is carpeted. It seems vain to add to the litter. Who can design a new leaf? The patterns from bud to unfolding and the colors from spring to autumn were all discovered by men long ago, but that is not true. The seed of the tree can be replanted in almost any soil. We need not despair of drawing because all lines must be either curved or straight, nor of painting because there are only three primary colors. Welcome back to the Inklings Variety Hour. We took a mid-season hiatus during the month of November due to various professional obligations, but we are excited to be back and should be posting more new content soon. This week, we have the other half of our discussion of J.R.R. Tolkien's essay on fairy stories. Among other things, we talk about the nature of originality, the way that stories re-enchant and recover reality for us, the nature of true escapism and modernity, the gift of Iluvatar and whether anyone actually wants to live forever, probably. Also, whether Tolkien really did believe in fairies, the idea of consolation, how joy is more poignant than grief, the parts of the Lord of the Rings that make us cry, fairy stories, myth, and the gospel, how the temporal and material helps us recover the eternal, and of course, Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom. So, strap on your steel shoes and prepare to climb the glassy hill of robust conversation with us. It's the Inklings Variety Hour. I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. And I, I, I love his his view of the artist. It's at one point it's very humble. It's it's this, you know, you're you're given this limited universe of color. You're given this limited universe of stories, of tales that can be told, of words that you can use, of sounds that you can make. Um, but you are given this power to create um, and this, this joy in, in sub-creation. Um, and I, I think this is where he, he really sings. Like he, um, both as, as casting a, a spell on us and, and also showing us his own view of himself. Um, as, as someone who, who had one tree that he worked on painting his whole life, leaf by leaf, and um, was never satisfied to the point of publication, uh, yeah. though it has delighted so many people now. Um, yeah, I, I think that's very poignant and sweet to see here. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think it's a really great encouragement um, for anybody who creates anything because there is that he speaks to that that there may be a danger of boredom or of anxiety to be original, mm-hmm. and I mean, so often I I hear you know other writers you know worry about that like well I, I've got to you know I've got to be original you know I've got to come up with a completely new idea that nobody's ever heard of, and really 
I mean, I, I really don't think that's possible <laughs> at this point. I mean, you can be original in ways that still draw on, you know, very old images, myths, but just, you know, put your right. own on it. Um, yeah. Drawing from that cauldron of story, you know, that he's referencing. And so there's yeah. nothing wrong with doing that. And I, th I really love that he emphasizes that it's okay to use these things that you have at your disposal and just rearrange them in creative ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think that's, um, that's always been such an encouragement to me whenever I've uh, sort of created anything um, that, you know, um, nobody can really say the exact thing that you have to say. Mm -hmm. um, so you really don't need to be worried about someone on a cosmetic level coming up with the same idea as you, because what you have to say is going to be different because it comes from you and you're different from them. Um, and I really love the, um, the, um, you know, the, the analogy to the seasons right there. Spring is of course not really less beautiful because we have seen or heard of, uh, other like events, like events, never from world's beginning to world's end, the same event, um, which was which was really cool to consider, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, yeah, when when spring happens every year, it's not like we're getting a return of the same thing. The same sorts of phenomena are happening to cause the same sort of thing, but it's 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 never the same. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and these leaves really are, they're not all, um, you know, they're not mass produced exactly like each other sort of leaves, yeah. right? They all, um, start with the same ingredients and, uh, or, or, or very, very similar ingredients, right. And then grow into something that it, of course is very like one another, but, but they're all distinct. Um, so in, in some ways it's a, it's a matter of focus. Um, and that's, that's kind of to his larger point as well about, um, you can't really say that these two fairy stories that have some of the same motifs in common yes. are therefore the same fairy story. Like you can't really say that Cupid and Psyche is the same story as Beauty and the Beast. Right. Yeah. It's got, it's got the same motifs because hum, the human heart is the same. Um, and we desire the same sort of thing. We're telling ourselves the same, um, we're telling ourselves stories that have certain constants in them. Right. Um, but, but that's not to say that it is the same story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that, I, that reminds me of, um, Pastor chapter in Ordoxy, the, in the ethics of Elfland, where he talks about repetition, not being a bad thing. Yes. Um, and then actually it's one of my favorite passages, <laughs> but, um, it's, um, like you know in nature there's repetition that doesn't make that doesn't mean it's bad it's it's really kind of that that vitality of childhood where even god says to the sun every day you know do it again and says to the moon every day do it again you know um and he makes every daisy separately because he's never gotten tired of making them even though it's you know more daisy you know just the same type of flower over and over but they're all different and unique um and so yeah i i I really love that passage because yeah, it's, it's not that I think often in, in our modern culture anyway, I think repetition is often looked down upon as a, as, as an evil almost, <laughs> um, particularly when it comes to attitudes toward liturgy, but, um, <laughs> baby names too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 
and uh, and and so I, I I always think about that passage whenever arguments about that come up because yeah like repetition is not in itself bad it's just it's it's a reinforcement of of beautiful truths um, you know every day and so yeah it's um, and so I think Tolkien is touching on that here as well that again it's it's not about coming up with an entirely new concept it's about re retelling you know the the same stories that involve yeah. the most basic desires of of the human heart yeah well and that's that's what recovery is right like yep. we we should look at green again and be startled yes. anew but not blinded by blue and yellow and red we should meet the centaur and the dragon and then perhaps suddenly behold like the ancient shepherds sheep and dogs and horses yes. and wolves this recovery fairy stories help us to make in that sense only a taste for them may make us or keep us childish yeah getting to that freshness yeah. and that yeah. recovering that sense of wonder yes uh, which is so often missing again because i i guess we just assume well as we grow older you know we become more cynical because we've experienced the world and so we just forget about all that childlike wonder but really especially for for us as Christians, um, you know, we should be looking at the world every day with with that kind of vision um, that things are spectacular simply because they they've been made. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and what, oh, go sorry. Go. Uh, um, I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so much editing. I'll have. Oh to you? Do. No, you. <laughs> great. The blooper reel will be amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So I, I've, I've been thinking about this because there are times in my life where not just reading Lewis and Narnia and encountering Aslan, um, but reading the Silmarillion and encountering the Numinous. And I have had profound, um, I think a recovery or, or a re-enchantment of my view of God as creator um, and as holy. Yes. When, you know, it's not, it's not even, yeah, the, a recovery of worship when that's not the explicit allegorical um, sort of easier C.S. Lewis jump from, from Aslan to Christ. But uh, I, I think perhaps, um, something on a deeper level. I, I don't know, but it, it feels like a, a recovery of that, of that awe and wonder necessary for worship. Um, yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say um, actually what, what, um, what books um, do reenchant the world for, for you all? Are there, are there, mm particular books that you've read that, um, you know, you suddenly have a new appreciation for things that you took for granted before and, and what are they and, and are they fairy stories or are they other kinds of books? You should go Megan. <laughs> I, mean, I think we've already well established that pretty much all of Charles Williams uh, did that for me. Um, specifically in regards to uh, just Christianity in, in general. Um, 
yeah, just the, the way that, that he'll talk about things in such odd and weird, bizarre ways, um, things that, that, that I've, that I've heard my entire life, like, you know, oh, I've heard about the crucifixion and like, I know about, you know, the Lord's Supper, but that's how it was when I was growing up, but <laughs> the Lord's Supper. Um, and then reading, <laughs> reading these really bizarre descriptions of like, of what is going on um, and just, just beautiful stuff that, I mean, that just re-energized my entire faith. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the big one for me, but it also, I mean, also with Lewis, um, I think uh, reading Paralandrix sort of did that for me as well. Um, yeah, just the, just that sense mm -hmm. of, because really, I mean, Paralandrix is just a, a different telling of the Genesis narrative on Venus. <laughs> And so <laughs> with a different outcome, right? Right. Yes. With a very different outcome. Um, and Weston, <laughs> it was just a bundle of fun. When we get to Paralandra, I can tell you the story about that, but um, there's a, there's a story about the first time I read Paralandra anyway. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, reading that, you know, Lewis and, and Tolkien Chesterton again, just revitalized my view of, of Christianity. Um, and then somebody like uh, Arthur Mackin, when I started getting into him, um, he's got uh, probably one of my favorite works of his is The Hill of Dreams. Um, it's it's less, slightly less horrific than some of his other stuff, but just the descriptions of of the Welsh countryside mm. is, is gorgeous. Um, yeah, and it really makes me want to go um, to Wales. <laughs> I've, I've never been, but um, mm. just to soak in all of that natural beauty. Um, but again, kind of uh, bearing in mind that it is all all made um you know by by an intelligent creative artist um yeah Th those those would be some there are there are more but you go ahead annika <laughs> um yeah i i think about this um i return because sometimes i can get like um uh childishly as c.s lewis would say self-conscious about this um and embarrassed or ashamed but i go back often to lucy Ma montgomery's books all of them but especially the anne of green gables stuff um because her that whole world of prince edward island and this edwardian uh farm, village, um, it's so sweet and it's so wholesome. And I, I remember in my early 20s living in Seattle and just being around a lot of darkness um, and going and reading those books and feeling cleansed. Um, like my imagination just got washed out and filled in with pretty thoughts. <laughs> Um, thoughts of love and friendship and service and joy in literature and baking. And, you know, even, I, I think it doesn't necessarily have to be um, Christian. Um, I think it can be just um, pure and beautiful and good to, to cleanse and to, um, yeah, to, to lend itself to recovery. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I think this is something that literature just, um, 
is wonderful at doing and I love that Tolkien points um points this out um you know specifically about fairy stories but I think I think in general if you encounter um these objects in these stories they suddenly have these meanings attached to them right and these stories attached to them when you then see them in real life right um so mm-hmm. that you, um so so that there's a you you look at them from a new angle and they seem new but they also seem um very um very layered with meaning um and 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 uh closer to like you know whatever their platonic form might be right um except except in in dazzling particularity um at the same time but um but but to me like what um part of what part of what often does that um uh, for me outside of literature is travel um mm. is you're encountering this world that the people that live there like totally take for granted they're like why in the world are you here <laughs> you know like, <laughs> Why would you come here? Why wouldn't you stay in America? You guys have shopping malls. Um, and, and, um, you know, and then you have all these uh, cheap, you know, uh, electronics and things like that. I don't get why you'd come here and look at our old stuff. Um, and, uh, and it's so, but, it, but there's something about seeing the places where they live, like kind of for the first time. Um, that's just, uh, you know, you, to, to a degree, you can take it back with you, you know, and, and, and see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the area where you are from or, or whatever else for the, for the first time as well. Um, but I remember wandering around, um, taking like epic jo- voyages through, um, Romania, um, and like hitchhiking all over the, the country and like, really really wishing that i had brought the lord of the rings because you know because then i could read about a journey at the same time that i was taking uh, a journey right <laughs> um, um and 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 there's this like re-enchantment of the process of of journeying that you, mm-hmm. that you get um there uh, but there you know i i mean really i think um uh most literature that's good and that's enjoyable uh, beowulf definitely for me um mm. you know will will re-enchant landscapes even though there's very little description of actual landscapes in beowulf um it still has this um um you know way if if i look at like a a boggy fenland or or something like that like there's such a um yeah, there's such a fascination and romanticism, um, you know, in, in me uh, about that uh, because it, I'm, I'm seeing a kind of beauty in it that I wouldn't see without these stories. Uh, but uh, I'm sure there are like tons of other instances of, of that, but um, the epics do it really well for me um, uh, because in the epics, everything is kind of ideal, um, you know, and, and so you're seeing in every dog, you know, like, uh, 
Odysseus's dog Argos, right? Mm-hmm. Who waits for him for 20 years and then finally oh. when you see his master disguised and he's been like abused by the suitors and whatever else and he's lying on top of a big pile of manure and when he sees his master disguised return he's the only one who recognizes him and he just like lifts up his head and then dies um you know but he he dies happy knowing that his master is back but <laughs> the character of that dog um you know is in like every dog right um, and, uh, and, and yeah, all, all kinds of other, um, idealized things in, in a lot of these epics. Um, but we don't like, I don't know, a lot of, you know, a lot of modern, uh, artists like throughout the 20th century, 21st as well. Um, they want, they want moralism for sure, but they don't want idealization of, of right. much of anything. Um, which is which is interesting. Yeah, well, should we pivot from that? We've been talking about fantasy and recovery um, and moving from, from there to escape and consolation um, and how Tolkien points out that there are people who use a, a tone of scorn or pity um, when they talk about escape, like like you're you're escaping what what you like to call real life with the capitals, um, and he, he says, well, well, yeah, basically, um, why should a man be scorned if finding himself in prison he tries to get out and go home, or if when he cannot do so he thinks and talks about other topics than jailers and prison walls. The world outside has not become less real because the prisoner cannot see it. Um, in using escape in this way, the critics have chosen the wrong word. And what is more, they are confusing, not always by sincere error, the escape of the prisoner with the flight of the deserter. Um, and I, I love that. Um, because there, there is that realization that what what we experience and what we are dissatisfied with in our own lives and world is, is not how it was meant to be. Um, and maybe there's actually more honesty in acknowledging that um, and fleeing in escape um, rather than pretending it's good to just have more realism. Like I, I, I don't know about you guys. I've never understood those people who are like, you should really watch this show that's set in a, in an actual prison or in this horrible. Yeah. 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 This really gritty thing. And I'm like, why, why do I want to go there? I don't want to go there. (laughs) My life is hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm tired at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to watch something that's just going to upset me. <laughs> like, I want to see something that either makes me laugh or is, like, really redemptive in some yeah, way. Yeah, and cons- uh, consoling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the point that mainly the people that dis- disapprove of Escape are the jailers, right, is a, uh, is, is a pretty uh, good, sharp point to make right um yeah um um yeah in in parts it reminds he he's kind of questioning well what what exactly is the real 
Um, right. And by setting something in the modern world with electric this and electric that and, and whatever else, am I actually getting closer to the real um, or am I getting further away from it? And he, he, he kind of has this uh, um, uh, point where um, um, around paragraph 90 or so on, on page seven, mm-hmm. um, um, he's talking about a, a clerk of Oxenford, which he's quoting the Canterbury Tales when they talk about, you know, a, a, a student at Oxford, right? Um, I heard a clerk of Oxenford declare that he welcomed the proximity of mass production, robot factories, and the roar of self-obstructive mechanical traffic because it brought his university into contact with real life. He may have meant that the way men were living and working in the 20th century was increasing in barbarity at an alarming rate and that the loud demonstration of this in the streets of Oxford might serve as a warning that it is not possible to preserve for long an oasis of sanity in a desert of unreason by mere fences without actual offensive action, practical and intellectual. I fear he did not. In any case, the expression real life in this context seems to fall short of academic standards. The notion that motor cars are more alive than, say, centaurs or dragons is curious. That they are more real than, say, horses is pathetically absurd. How real, how startlingly alive is a factory chimney compared with an elm tree? Poor, obsolete thing. Insubstantial dream of an escapist. Right? So he's he's kind of calling into question this equivalence of modern technology with reality and Mm -hmm. saying well who's really trying to escape here is it me or is it you Um, are you trying to escape from the most pressing questions that that have at all times weighed upon the human heart right um and and probably for good reason uh, by surrounding yourself with noise, right, and and by um, by getting all the latest technology or, or whatever else, be, you know, becoming in Eliot's words, distracted from distraction by distraction, um, um, or or are you actually trying to get away from, you know, from from reality, from ultimate reality, and maybe the fairy story actually offers a way back into ultimate reality. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and this this is really this is really interestingly like similar to um, the first screw tape letter as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when when he talks about the atheist who um, you know goes outside, sees a number seven bus going by, and and a boy right? selling the paper, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know gets contact into with the real world, yeah, 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 and do not ever let him ask what he means by real. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do. I do love when we get to um, 96 that there are other things more grim and terrible to fly from than noise, stench, ruthlessness, and extravagance of the internal combustion engine. There are hunger, thirst, poverty, pain, sorrow, injustice, death. And even when men are not facing hard things such as these, there are ancient limitations from which fairy stories offer a sort of escape and old ambitions and desires touching the very roots of fantasy to which they offer a kind of satisfaction and consolation. Some are pardonable weaknesses or curiosities, such as the desire to visit free as a fish, the deep sea, or the longing for the noiseless, gracious, economical flight of a bird. There are profounder wishes, such as the desire to converse with other living things. Um, and I, yeah, 
Yeah, the a vivid sense. He he goes into talking about longing to connect with animals and um, the sort of alienation we sense um, and a, a fate and guilt that lies within us that has broken us off from other realms, which I had never considered before. But I I wonder too with the um, not just the the alienation from beasts, uh, qua beasts, but the alienation from creation and from the environment and the sense of, of guilt there. That is, um, I don't know, that, that feels omnipresent in our current generation. Um, yeah. And, and having different names for it here, um, as there's a whole realm we've been uh, severed from and, and there's faults in us leading to that severance. Um, I, I love that. I feel like it's really evocative and it also tells me a lot. Yeah. And I think, um, again, coming from a Christian perspective, the, yeah, the whole point of Christ's sacrifice is to, you know, reunite us, not just with God, but with, with grace. Um, you know, he's making all things new, not just us to go fly away to some far off realm, but, but, you know, to, to reinstate us fully as, you know, again, sub creators, caretakers of, of creation, mm-hmm. partners with God in, um, you know, cultivating, um, creative things. Mm-hmm. If, if we can just keep rolling on to the oldest and deepest desire the great escape, the escape from death. Yes. Um, this stood out to me. I don't think I remember it when I, I think I, I first read this in college um, and I hadn't returned to it in a while. Um, but he, he talks about um, the, the stories, the genuine escapist or fugitive spirit um, being the escape from death Um But then he has this little note on the top of 75, paragraph 97. The human stories of the elves are doubtless full of the escape from deathlessness. Um, Because fairy stories are made by men, not fairies. And and sort of the, at the back of the mirror look, um, it reminds me just again of um, in Tolkien's, in Middle Earth, um, how the elves don't understand the doom upon humans, uh, upon man, and they call death the gift of Eru. Um, And there is a poignant longing for what that gift is um, in their own very sad and melancholy deathlessness. Yeah. And that's, yeah, the, the burden of immortality or serial living. Um, yeah. I, I just find that really haunting and I'm, I'm not sure why other than I think there's a deep myth there. It all comes back to Highlander. Uh, <laughs> what? wants to live forever. You know, the queen song. Um, whenever, whenever in uh, in the Highlander <laughs> USA show, um, wow, okay. somebody else is uh, 
somebody else who's um, uh, friends with Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Uh, whenever he, they die, they'd always come in with like the Queen anthem, "Who Wants to Live Forever," and then you know, Duncan McLeod with his ponytail would be crying about you know losing another mortal friend. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do find that really, um, uh, that really poignant and interesting. And I don't, it's hard for me as immortal to, um, to buy it. Um, it's it's hard for me to be like, no, I kind of, or not to be like, no, I kind of think that I'd rather not die. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like if given a choice. Um, I know that there are all these stories where somebody gets their wish or whatever, you know, monkey's paw esque, barring becoming a zombie. (laughs) I, I, I kind of feel like I'd be okay with, with living forever, but that's, you know, obviously, you know, you could just as easily say, Oh, that's because you haven't had to, you know, take on the burden of living forever. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting to me for that Tolkien's imagination works to give us the elves point of view of like, what if, what if living forever is actually, it becomes a tiresome thing and a burden and something you would want to be relieved of to the point where you'd sail over the sea um, and forsake the world. Uh, Yeah. I, I find that fascinating. Like I, I, I think he acknowledges that that's a weird viewpoint. And of course everyone wants to not die, but that, that he could in his sub creative world conceive of the elves telling the stories about us um, is just a really, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a, a cool move of creative jujitsu. Um, yeah, and, and he does bring up George MacDonald there, right? And, and just says, like, George MacDonald's fairy tales are often about death. Um, yeah. Of course, George MacDonald's fairy tales are also usually about universalists' death, right? So, like, I mean, you you eventually get to a good place, uh, and, uh, you know, in, in the end. Um, but, um, but, but, yeah, um, there is a... Um, um, yeah, a, a kind of uh, darkness, and it's not. It's you know, obviously George MacDonald. It's not a cheap universalism either. It's it's uh, right. Like, yeah, you know, you got to pay the price for it. Um, but uh, yeah, his his the way. Can we talk about the way he talks about? Will it derail us to talk about the way he talks about elves and fairies? No, no, um, because that's really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, that he, yeah. you know, kind of threw out this, much like Professor Kirk in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Um, and, I, and I don't think it's just kind of this sort of like, oh, I'm being cute and charming, you know, because I, I don't think Tolkien's that kind of a, a writer, right? Um, like, he, he seems to um, believe at least that um, elves have existed or do exist or at least there's a good 
chance that they, you know, have, have been around. We just don't know. Um, which is, uh, which is just really, um, I, I, is that, do you all think that's just wishful thinking on his part? Um, are there particular instances of him talking that way that, that would seem to point, you know, to his actual literal belief in elves, like people in, you know, people in Iceland, uh, who make little houses, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody see the um, the Netflix uh, um, uh, Eurovision uh, movie? Oh. By the way, oh, it's awesome. No, um, oh. I mean it's, it's not that awesome. It's all right, but there's one part where they end up getting into Eurovision. They're they're like Icelandic losers, basically, and um, they end up getting into Eurovision. The singing competition. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's really big in, in Europe, especially like Eastern Europe and, and Northern Europe. They, uh, all, all of these bands, each band from like a certain country in Europe, they all compete. And the one that wins Eurovision gets to be held in their country the next year. Uh, it's a really big deal, but, but yeah, this, this Icelandic, uh, the band, um, ends up getting to go to Eurovision after the girl in the band uh, prays to the elves uh, and like leaves a little gift outside of, the, uh, outside of their, their house to ask them to let, and the way it happens is all the other qualified singers get blown up while on a boat. <laughs> She's like, I didn't want it to happen this way. <laughs> but, uh, but so yeah, it's basically elves as monkeys paw. Okay. <gasps> the elves went too far. It's too good to be true. Oh. We're in. We're in the winner's circle. What? We're in the winner's circle. We're, We're in. We're in. We're in. Oh, but I feel really bad about the people on the ball. Oh, me too. Ah, I know it's a great tragedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically. Um, um, so I, I wonder, and this thought just occurred to me, so I'm, I'm not putting tons of confidence into it. It's more of a musing than a theory. Um, but Tolkien's, the, and going back to Leaf by Niggle, the idea that things matter and that, um, that creative, imaginative work matters and, and that when you subcreate, there's something real happening. Um, and I wonder if, like, I, I've heard, I think it was like a John Mark Reynolds, um, uh, who's an, a now Orthodox uh, theologian. Um, I wonder if it's, something like that, almost a, a Platonism where, um, like in Leaf by Niggle, the, the protagonist finds that the painting he's been trying to paint all his life is, is realized as a full tree living and growing in, in heaven, right? Um, or in advanced pur- or purgatory, I can't tell. Um, <laughs> yeah, the border's a little... A little yeah. uh, <laughs> there. They, they didn't build a wall. Uh, Gentle treatment. Um, but, but that, that sort of um, 
imagining and the power behind that being just because, yeah, so many people have conceived of the dragon or so many people have conceived of elves. Like why, why couldn't they be real um, beyond, beyond the story or outside of the tellers of the story, maybe, but the story itself becomes real like a spell. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he kind of talks about that um, when he's talking about the phrase blink suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Um, or he says, um, you know, and he, he, he says that he doesn't really think that that's an apt description of what's going on. Um, and he says, what really happens is that the story maker proves a successful sub creator. He makes a secondary world, which your mind can enter inside it. What he relates is true. It accords with the laws of that world. You therefore believe it while you are, as it were inside the moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken. The magic or rather art has failed. You are then out in the primary world again, looking at the little abortive secondary world from outside. And so I think, uh, you know, and, and I know he says you referring to the reader, but I think too, it's important for the artists themselves to believe in the secondary world that they have created. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do think there's a little bit of that at play. Um, you know, whether or not that means he, liter- he believed in literal elves, I, I guess that's up for debate, but, but I do think there is an element of that. I've, I've created this world where there are these elves that exist. And in order for that to ring true, I myself have to believe it so that other people will also believe it while they are inside that world. Right. Yeah. Or, or if you go with the leaf by niggle analogy, right, he's creating, he's creating something that was placed in his heart Mm -hmm. by God. Yeah. And therefore, has a reality to it. As yeah, well, I, and I think he even refers to the, he doesn't even, when he says, he talks about the Lord of the Rings, you know, really he says, well, I didn't come up with this, guys. It was from the Red Book of Westmarch that I just found or I know about, you know, so I didn't write this. Um, so even in that sense, yeah, it's, it's, it's more like the story was given to me, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I think. I think Jeffrey Monmouth did that too, by the way, Um, when when he came up with all the Arthurian stuff, he's like, Oh yeah. In this, in this one book, um, (laughs) this is where I get all this stuff. Yeah. But, uh, um, but nobody's found that book. Um, yeah. Um, um, I, I wonder, I wonder if it doesn't have something to do also with his being a philologist, um, because there are a lot of interest. There's, there's a lot of really interesting, uh, elf related words in in a lot of the especially like uh germanic um languages um that that have to do with like whiteness and shining and something very very bright um and uh um yeah there there are just so many adjectives in old english as well that that have alf you know as the Hmm. as the as the so I, i wonder if I wonder if there's something in the back of his mind that is, um, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be willing to discount the possibility that, you know, such things as elves once did, you know, walk the earth long, long, long ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and have since departed. Um, and then our fates are sundered as he says. Um, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you, you all are absolutely right to say like, well, the question of whether something is real or not 
this is exactly what he's like complicating in this essay, right? Like, like what, what exactly is reality? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and if we find reality in God, um, and God channels reality through us as, you know, uh, splintered light right as as um as um different different hues of 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 god's single bright light um then um then yeah the things that we make um uh despite plato slash thanks to plato are also quite real right Mm -hmm. um uh, what else should we talk about with this essay well, we need to, we haven't gotten to consolation and eucatastrophe, like we've talked about eucatastrophe, but eucatastrophe is the consolation that we need um, and reflecting a glory backwards, which reminds me of Williams. And I don't know, Megan, if you have like, yeah, I, I thought you might have something to say on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, even though I, I, I don't think Tolkien here is directly influenced by Williams, but there is that idea of, again, kind of that this also is thou, neither is this thou, um, that we, we, in a sense, reflect God's glory and, you know, carry a bit of that within us um, without being God ourselves. Yeah. And just kind of taking comfort and, and consolation in that. Yeah. I, I think to the, the sudden and miraculous grace the and and his point that the poignancy as you point out uh, megan in that part you read um poignant as grief um he calls it the mark of a good fairy story that it gives to the one who hears it when the turn comes a catch of the breath a beat and lifting of the heart near to or indeed accompanied by tears as keen as that given by any form of literary art and having a peculiar quality. Um, And later on, he says that in such stories, when the sudden turn comes, we get a piercing glimpse of joy and heart's desire that for a moment passes outside the frame, rends indeed the very web of story and lets a gleam come through. Um, And I, that to me is the, I mean, that's the, the true magic and the, the deep magic um, that, that Tolkien is, is getting at. Um, yeah. In creation and yeah. in writing this story that reminds us of the one story. Yeah. That resonates with me so much. Um, I, I almost, I do not usually cry when I watch movies or read books. Um, the only time that I do is when something just so unexpectedly joyful happens, right? Um, that's when I start choking up a little bit and like, you know, trying to hold my face still because I don't want, you know, I don't, I don't want to look like I'm crying. Right. Um, but, but those, those are the moments that, that touch me really, really like when, when some kind of, you know, horrible thing happens or people are really sad or whatever. I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's the way the world is. Like I, I'm a little bit like, like Lionel. Right. Um, yeah. But, yeah. um, but when, um, when, 
something out of the blue is just so joyful. Um, like I, I think especially now that you all mentioned it, the moment when, uh, uh, the Rohirrim come over the hill at home, yes, yes. right? Like that is that that's like transporting and touching in a way that the other sorts of things that are trying to bring you to tears can't really can't really reach. Um, yes. But, uh, oh, I cry every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good moment every time. Yeah, yeah, the other time I always cry in the in at least when watching the movies is uh, the part where Sam says to Frodo, "I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you." Aww. That's the part that always gets me too. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of I, a small youth catastrophe in its own way because you know Frodo's just at the point where he can't like he just can't go on anymore. Yeah, and and little Sam is just like, you know what? I'm gonna get you there. So he p- picks him up, and and every time. It gets me. Yeah, it's a response Rudy, to goodness. Rudy. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is That's a response awesome. to goodness. And it's, yes. um, yeah. I, for me, the, the turn, the second turn is when Sam wakes up and he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Mm. Gand- Gandalf, I thought I had died. I thought you had died. Mm. Um, and, and then he burst into tears. Yeah, and and that Tolkien describes and um, expounds on this with his characters as the minstrel sing and all of Sam's uh, longings have come true. Like there's a minstrel singing the song about Frodo the Nine Fingered, mm-hmm. uh, as Sam had predicted. Uh, we have brought with us someone who has written a ballad about the adventures of Frodo, the minstrel of Gondor. <laughs> Frodo. Of the nine fingers and the ring of doom. Um, oh, uh, joy sharp as swords, right? Which is a, of course, a, a term that Tolkien comes back to, um, and he he talks about it in the epilogue and links it explicitly to the Christian story, um, mm-hmm. which. He's very careful and and almost tentative um, that he he says um, it's not only a consolation for the sorrow of this world, but a satisfaction and an answer to that question, is it true? The answer to this question that I gave at first was quite rightly, if you have built your little world well, yes, it is true in that world. That is true enough for the artist, but in the catastrophe, we see in a brief vision that the answer may be greater. It may be a far-off gleam or echo of Evangelion in the real world. The use of this word gives a hint of my epilogue. It is a serious and dangerous matter. Um, and I, I also love that, again, he goes to serious and dangerous, which reminds me of, like, the same sort of invocation he gives at the beginning where he's talking about fairy is the perilous realm. Um, and it's, it's something to be dealt with. The magic should be treated seriously um, and not, not scoffed at. Um, and he, he goes on to talk about approaching the Christian story from this direction. It has long been my feeling, a joyous feeling that God redeems the corrupt making creatures, men, in a way fitting to this aspect as to others of their strange nature. The Gospels contain a fairy story. 
or a story of a larger kind, which embraces all the essences of fairy stories. Um, yeah, the, the greatest and most complete conceivable eucatastrophe. But this story has entered history and the primary world. The desire and aspiration of subcreation has been raised to the fulfillment of creation. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. The story begins and ends in joy. Um, and I, yeah, I am in love with this whole little paragraph. And I think it's the most explicit Tolkien gets publicly on, on Christianity and its effect on his art. Yeah, so this this idea basically that the reason we connect with fairy stories is because it speaks of um, this desired because intended for us, right? Mm-hmm. Happy ending um, that that um, you know that that we get in the true myth, right? That uh, right. that that the gospels um, tell us. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. A point Lewis will then take more he'll expound it further length in on myth, right? That, that Christ as myth became fact. And what if we have Balder and other resurrection stories because we were meant to long for a resurrection and because there was a resurrection. Um, legend and history have met and fused. Uh, the Evangelium has not abrogated legends. It has hallowed them. And I, I thought especially of um the Grail story and all the different, uh, just the names and the litany that we had with Charles Williams of Arthur and John and Galahad and Mary. And yeah, I, the, the richness of legend and history intertwining too. Yeah. Uh. And he even says in here, um uh the joy would have exactly the same quality if not the same degree as the joy which the turn in a fairy story gives such joy has the very taste of primary truth otherwise its name would not be joy it looks forward or backward the direction of this regard is unimportant to the great eucatastrophe um so this idea again sort of it sort of plays with time a little bit here as well, mm-hmm. that it, it really doesn't matter at what point in time you are, all points converge on the great eucatastrophe, yeah. where the whole of history, the whole of the world turns. So good. <laughs> the categories. Yeah. <laughs> she, she loves Tolkien so much. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, you know, bringing bringing williams back up um you know there really is an uh, a reenchantment not only of the grail but of the communion chalice through the grail right yeah. um and and looking at you know every chalice used in every church as a type of this cup that christ takes um which of course can also go further and reenchant you know, every vessel that you use to, you know, that, that you use to drink, um, and every, you know, um, all, all wine and all bread, you know, has, yes, has something. Oh, of, can we, 
Yeah. Can, can we, I just love that um, Tolkien often, he'll, he'll have this whole list of things that he learned or that became real in stories. And then he'll end it with bread and wine. Yes. Um, it was in fairy stories that I first divined the potency of the words and the wonder mm-hmm. of the things such as stone and wood and iron, tree and grass, house and fire bread and wine um yeah yeah um yeah the recovery of um the sort of miraculous in the in the everyday right um Mm -hmm. and and even that's become kind of a cliche um but um but it's still true right that you that you can find um beauty um, and, uh, something that's, uh, you know, it's like novelty, but it feels novel because it's eternal, right. In, mm-hmm. in, in the ordinary things that we round ourselves with. Um, mm-hmm. well, it's just like, um, I think Megan brought out with, with the Charles Williams last week, the, the sacramental view mm-hmm. of creation, right? Yes. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, again, just, yeah, viewing everything and even Tolkien touches on that in this essay, viewing everything with that sort of renewed vision, um, that one gets by having a, a, in, in Lewis's words, a baptized imagination. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so that everything really comes alive for you in a way that, uh, you might not have, it, it might not have before, um, encountering Christ, um, yeah, yeah. It, 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 once you encounter Christ, everything is kind of imbued with this vitality, um, this almost to, to an almost mystical degree. Um, yeah, yeah. Finding finding that finding the mystical and the ordinary. Um, yeah, it might be a cliche nowadays, but it's it's very true that yeah. that things don't always have to be. Like, like you don't have to have the Holy Grail for a for a cup to be special, um, like you yeah. were saying, Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think that's exactly what William's point was as well. Yeah. In the in the you know in War in Heaven, he's he's talking about things. Yeah, um, like he's talking about stuff and how can stuff, rather than deadening our hearts, um, actually make them alive to uh, ultimate reality, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and allow ultimate reality to touch them through the senses, um, which yeah. I think is a really strong point of convergence with with what Tolkien's getting at as well. Yeah, well, because this sentence here, it says, um, but in God's kingdom, the presence of the greatest does not depress the small. And for me, I kind of, I do think of that going back to the Eucharist, the types, you know, there is, there is, yes, an, an ultimate Eucharist that happened, you know, in the upper room, but these, these quote unquote, smaller, you know, events happening in churches every Sunday or even every day, depending on your church, uh, <laughs> are, are, are no less magnificent than that original Eucharist. Mm. Just right. because there's a, there's a present, just because, yeah, they're all present in that moment does not mean that what we're doing isn't in any way lessened by virtue of being from that, from that event. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, um, 
part of the recovery involves making these lesser things, uh, you know, participate in the greater thing. Um, so, so that time is sort of collapsed, right? Uh, and so that the different, um, we, we get to sort of this through, through all of these distinct versions of a, of a thing, we get to the, um, to the main thing that they are all, um, uh, communicating, um, or, 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 or imaging. Um, um, but, uh, yeah. Um, that the, you know, every, everything in the world is an icon, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. say, rather than, All tales may come true and yet at the last redeemed, they may be as like and as unlike the forms that we give them as man finally redeemed will be like and unlike the fallen that we know. Well, um, it's, it's late ish. There are still a lot of things that I would like to talk about uh, with this. And I'm sure there's still a lot of stuff that the rest of you would like to talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm still would love to talk about adjectives. Uh, yes. And also mythopoeia. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so should we do that now next or should time? we do that next time? Maybe next time. It, um, I'm noticing a, a slowness to the um, yes, the word <laughs> my, and and my brain is for tired. Everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you all. This is this was delightful. Yes. Yay! It's Yay. So good to talk with you guys. I, I know. Appreciate this so much. Thanks for joining us. Next time we'll be applying some of the ideas from On Fairy Stories to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in order to determine once and for all whether it is a fairy story and whether Tolkien is departing from his own standards and disliking it. It's full circle time. If you enjoy this podcast, recommend it to a friend and give us a review on iTunes. And please do feel more than free to drop us a line at inklingsvarietyhour, all in word, at gmail.com. Thanks. Frodo! You must explain. We have brought with us someone who has written a ballad about the adventures of Frodo. The Minstrel of Gondor. Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom. It has its beginnings two ages past, when Bilbo set forth to reclaim the dwarves' gold from the dragon smog. And while on his quest, Bilbo stumbled into a deep, dank cave. Ah, this part I remember. When Bilbo found that shiny ring in Gollum's cave of gloom, he never thought that it would turn into a ring of doom. The dragons smug, the spiders too, the goblins, the elven king. They came to know the power of the hobbit and his ring. of doom.
it with a hobbit in Gollum's cave of gloom. The power of the ring it grew, and Gandalf sat in thought. He knew that it must be destroyed in fires where it was wrought. For if in evil hands it fell, the earth would know its end. No force of arms would win the day, no army could contend. Encounter full of joy, unscheduled on the Geeson fan, with here an addict of Tolkien, there a Charles Williams fan.